Devin, welcome, man. I'm so stoked to have you here. Thanks for driving down. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. So as you told me your story, one of the coolest things I thought from everything is that you've done door-to-door. Yeah, I did. I did door-to-door from 2000 and, well, it was the summer of 2002, I believe. I got married. We went on our honeymoon uh, in Lake Tahoe, and then we drove from Lake Tahoe to Orlando, Florida the next day. Right after. Right after. So and is then, that why yeah. you did it? Because you were getting married and it's like, you know, I got to provide. And that's yeah. why I did it. I never thought I'd do it ever because yeah. I went to UVU too. It was UVSC when I started there. There you go. Okay. So we're we're brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but I just hated the vibes. I thought everybody that did it was a total douchebag. They're so vain and like stuck oh, up yeah. and like, bro, what did you make last year? And like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, these guys are dumb. Yeah. But then like all my friends were doing it and I got engaged. And I'm like, freak, dude. Yeah. I got to go. Well, it was like the peak. It seemed like it was the peak time when they were recruiting yeah. all of the and younger the guys. Flags, and they were oh, everywhere. Man. Yeah, they were everywhere. Yeah. And so I totally got bought into the, we both you got know, hey, into that. you're going to make so much, you know, yeah. $70,000, you know, in the summer. And so it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. The reason why I love it, though, is, I mean, I haven't been in the military, so I can't speak to that. But for me, it's the hardest job I've ever done. And it's not the hardest physically, but it's the hardest mentally and emotionally. I mean, all day long, people are saying, get lost. Why are you here? We hate you guys. We hate it when you come around. And it's just like you get sucked into this world like the entire world hates you Uh, and doesn't want to see you. And then you're worthless. And like it just gets to you, man. It is so hard. Yeah, I would say, you know, a lot of people think that it's really physically taxing. uh, But in my experience, it was way more mentally taxing. For sure. Yeah. You know, it's the and it wasn't even so much the rejection, but it was just, yeah, the way people treated you. It was almost like how they rejected you. And so, you know, for me, it was, I remember going to doors and, hey, you know, this pest control and kind of give them the spill. Yeah. You know, and there would be people who would be like, why would I want to get rid of my spiders? They're my friends. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> so these guys, you know, and they were just kind of jerks about it sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, that it got old for a little bit, but yeah, it was mentally difficult for sure. Well, because of that, that's why I wanted to have somebody on is, Mental health is just such a big thing. And I don't know if society's just talking about it more or we're sleeping less as a society or diets worse or social media. I don't know, but it just seems like as time goes on, it's a bigger and bigger deal. And so that's why we wanted to have you on today. So the the main question that I have is what percentage of mental health issues can be avoided? Um, in my In my opinion... I would say the majority of mental health issues can be avoided. Um, there's obviously other more severe mental health issues that are um, more biologically um, derived, I guess you could say. So yeah. like psychotic disorders and things yeah. like that. Um, obviously some PTSD type symptoms are sure. difficult to be able to avoid. Yeah. Uh, but the majority of mental health, you know, was depression, anxiety, lack of motivation. Um, yeah, uh, my mind kind of went blank there. Would, but but what, when you talk about that, I'm like, 
that's the sickest thing ever. Seriously, that is so cool that the majority can be avoided because if you've dealt with mental health or you're dealing with it, and I've, I've dealt with it in the past, you feel like you can't overcome it. You feel like, man, how, how could I control this? You feel stuck, right? You feel hopeless and helpless. Yeah, and that's the connection or that's the disconnection, I should say, between your thoughts and your emotions. So your emotions are saying you can't overcome it. But if you master your thoughts, then you believe that you can. And so a lot of times, depending on if a person thinks more with their feelings, then they realize that sometimes your feelings can lie to you. So just because you're scared doesn't mean you're in danger. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, so you don't want to, a lot of times, you don't want to go just based on your feelings. Yeah. Because they can get in the way, especially if you have a history of, you know, being traumatized in some way or, you know, based on your history of being programmed and how you were raised and that kind of thing. That's so Um, fascinating. I just finished this book called The Power of Bad, and it talks all about that. You can't go off your feelings and emotions because naturally how we're programmed is bad is so much more powerful than good. For example, in the news, we see that maybe there was a homicide or something. And then our mind thinks, oh my gosh, we live in this crazy world that all there is murders everywhere. And it's like, no, it's actually safe. And that's 0.000 whatever percent. Yeah. But your mind just focuses on the bad. And that's why you have to learn how to control those emotions. Right, right. And it's based on, in in my view, it's based on a lot of fear. So a lot of people want to be safe. They want to experience pleasure, but they also want to experience safety. And so that's those emotions are what we really want to try to kind of drive our behaviors. But a lot of times in this world, you know, we can get sucked into fear when we don't need to be afraid of a lot of things. We don't need to be afraid of, you know, even failing at times or whatever. It doesn't mean anything. It's just an emotion. Fear is so powerful. It's more powerful than safety, right? Yeah. Like, for example, think about maybe being overweight. Let's say you're overweight. You're feeling a little bit chubby. I guarantee if you're on a diet or you're working out to try and overcome that, it's not the positive. I bet it's because the fear of looking overweight. Yeah. I guarantee that's yeah. what's motivating you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I talk to people about, you know, I'm not a dietitian, but I talk to people about physical health and the sure. connection between that and mental health. But that comes up all the time. You know, it's just it's fear of yeah not wanting to be perceived in a certain way. It's the fear of uh, being rejected by other people if you look overweight. Um, yeah, it's rarely oh I want to be healthy. Yeah, and I want to be mentally healthy, and I want to be on top of my game. It's yeah. more I just want to avoid the perception from other people and maybe how I feel about myself. But that that can be very unhealthy and that can put you in a downward spiral, right? That can lead to all these things that we spoke about, hopelessness, depression, anxiety, lack of motivation, which I want to get into. Real quick though, what made you want to get into this field? Um, you know, for me, the first thing was that I was interested in it. You know, it Why was- Why were you interested in it? It was intellectually stimulating. Okay. So I, I just wanted to know how people worked. Yeah. I wanted to understand. Just like what I was talking to you about. I love psychology yeah. just for that reason. Same I want to understand thing. how our minds work. Yeah. That was the, the start. That was the start of it for me. It was, I wanted to understand people and understand yeah. 
why people did the things that they did. And it was fascinating to me. Other people, it's boring as, you know, whatever, right? They, yeah. just, they get bored. They fall asleep when I tell them stuff about mental health. Sometimes. There's so many cool. But I find it fascinating. Oh, there's so many cool things like learned helplessness and all these cool studies. Like the power of habit has so many cool studies in that book. And just like delayed gratification and just understanding yeah. how our mind works is everything. Yeah, it really is everything. And now that after I've been doing this for so long, you know, it's one of those things where I'm really glad that I got into it because it's helped it's helped me understand the world better. And that's not originally why I got into it. A lot of people do get into the mental health field because they're, you know, either on a subconscious level they want to fix themselves or whatever. Sure. But for me, I was really more interesting, but now I've learned so much about it that it's really helped me help my clients understand the world in a different way and yeah. just look at it differently and feel more empowered. Yeah. So they're not a victim of it. They're, they can control what they do, how totally. they think. You know. So what, what are you typically dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis? What types of things? Um, so I would say that I deal with a lot of feelings of hopelessness, a lot of people that have low self-esteem, a lot of lack of motivation, um, a lot of fear bait. You know, we talk about fear, a lot of people that are just afraid. They're afraid of just about anything. Um, they're afraid of, you know, getting too close to people. They're afraid of people leaving them. They're afraid of rejection. So a lot of fear-based stuff. Um, I would say a lot of just, well, a lot of addiction, a lot of pornography addiction, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, relationships. I work with some couples and things like that. And so, yeah, that's what I see mostly though. Just a lot of depression, a lot of hopelessness, a lot of hopelessness. And going back to the question I asked, earlier about what percentage can be avoided if it's the majority then your job is just helping people overcome that through a mixture of medication and also lifestyle changes I would guess yeah yeah so I you know it depends on the client and their situation yeah you know if somebody's really really depressed they're suicidal um, you know, that's when it's important for them to probably look into getting on some kind of medication for the short term um, in, in my view, and this may be just me, and I don't know if I'm going against the, the medical field here in this opinion or not, but I, I kind of view it as something that doesn't need to be a long-term solution for, with medication. medication. Specifically, yeah. yeah, but with for therapy sure. in conjunction yeah. with therapy, yeah, it's supposed to be the most effective way. But in my view, if somebody can master their thoughts and they can master their bodies, the way they view things, master their belief system in a positive way, a lot of that stuff goes away. So let's talk about that, actually. This, this first bucket of hopelessness, depression, anxiety, lack of motivation, what are some things that people could do to avoid that or if they're currently stuck in any of those symptoms to get out of it? So I think, like, the first thing that I would say is something that if you just Googled, okay, how do I overcome depression or whatever? Um, a lot of the things will pop up and you'll see it article after article. And it's usually the same things like exercise, um, eating right, 
living a daily set schedule, um, making sure that you get enough sleep, and then making sure that you go outside, get get some sun. You know, the sun isn't our our enemy for sure. It's so fascinating because as a company, we are all going through a self development basically program, and we just recently went through this where we put seven things into our morning routine. And I, I feel like starting your morning routine actually starts the night before it's sleep. Oh, I love it. I, you should be sitting in my chair. Cause I, I say that almost <laughs> every day. Really? Yeah. Almost every day to people. They're like, so how do I, you know, how do I wake up? I'm like, it doesn't start in the morning. Yeah. It's too late, right? Yeah, It's too late. Yeah. It's too late at that point. And you just got to go to bed earlier. Turn off your phone. And just, I, I feel like it it off, at man. least because a lot of people that work for us are in their 20s, probably almost all of them. And the biggest thing I see is FOMO. Oh, They're yeah. just hanging out and they cannot just <laughs> be the first person to walk away and go to bed. Yeah. And like at my age, I don't give a crap. I don't have to impress anybody. I have nothing to win. Like I don't care. Like once it's time, it's just I'm going, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, I probably wasn't like that 10 years ago. Right. It's interesting how... Yeah, your perspective kind of changes because, yeah, the fear of missing out for me is the fear of missing out on sleep. Totally. That's not, it's not the fear your, of missing out. Yeah, on hanging out with people. For sure. Well, I, I know I'm in a different, you know, situation <laughs> yeah. than the 20-year-olds or yeah, whatever. But for sure. if, they, if they would go to sleep, you know, they wouldn't worry about missing out on a whole lot of other stuff because they'd be awake and alert when they are interacting with people. Yeah. Yeah, there's been two moments in my life, like looking back, that I've, one, I had a struggle with anxiety just for a couple months, probably like three months. And reading books and like changing some lifestyle things instantly brought me out of that. And then another one was just, uh, I don't know if I would describe it as depression, but just I was so apathetic. Mm, I just didn't care. And it's the weirdest thing. And I was just stuck in this but I was eating like crap. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't working out. There was no daily goals or visualization or affirmations or anything. And so looking back, I mean, I was probably like 24, 25 when that happened. And I got on medication for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And then once I was out, I was out and I've never experienced anything since. But looking back now, it's like, well, dude, you weren't working out. You weren't sleeping. Yeah. You're yeah. eating like freaking crap. Yeah. You weren't doing any goal setting, any visualization, <laughs> any affirmations, like start on any of those six things. Brandon, that takes a lot a of work, thing. man. Takes yeah. a lot of work. And that's our society, right? Like what's a quick fix? Exactly. I need that quick hit to get out of it. And it seems like as I've traveled around and seen different countries in the U.S., we're more prone to that, like the quick fix. Oh, yeah. You, you see fast food drive-ins in other countries and we just want everything so right now. Yeah. Yeah, and if you think about it, even just like with social media apps like TikTok, um, it's a dopamine hit every time you scroll. Totally. So it's as soon as you scroll, dopamine hit. As soon as you scroll, dopamine hit. Yeah. It's releasing dopamine constantly. It's a small amount, but it's still enough to get people kind of used to the quick. Yeah, it's the quick fix. It's the easy route. It's not the, hey, I got to wake up. I've got to go to the gym. You know, I want to go. Um, eat right. I got to go to the store, which means I got to like find foods that are good for me. Yeah. You know, and then visualization and meditation, that kind of stuff, you know, all that takes turning off the phone and closing your eyes and yeah, 
visualizing things. Kind of looking back and I mean this, I really feel like for anything in your life, my favorite word is intentional because I feel like in looking at mental health, I'm like, man, anytime, if I just would have been intentional with my life and thought about what I wanted and what kind of food I want to eat and how much sleep I want to get and what I want to accomplish in this life and all these things, like I feel like instantly you're just going to be on a totally different path, right? It's completely different. As soon as you, as soon as you view the value in that and you see how it affects you mentally and it doesn't have to be major changes, but it's just like, you know, incremental changes over time. Yeah. And then you start to feel it and then you go, Oh, that's the answer. And then you're like, how can I not do these things? Oh, yeah, now? Yeah. Oh, I, there's no way. Because I get stressed. Like, if we go on a trip or I'm at a mastermind or somewhere and all there is is junk food, like, yeah. I start to get stressed, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or if I go a couple nights with low sleep, I get stressed or not doing anything physical or not going outside because I don't want to go back to that life at all. Yeah, the apathetic feeling is horrible. Totally. I mean, that's I mean that goes right along the lines of feeling hopeless. Yeah. When I talk to somebody that's apathetic, they're they don't have any real hope yeah. about the future for themselves or you know, whether they view the world as not having a, a bright future, you know, whatever it is, it's it turns into apathy because it's like, "Oh, I don't have any control," which couldn't be further from the truth. You can control everything that you do. And how you respond to things will determine whether or not you find success and happiness in your life or if you remain apathetic and hopeless. Totally, and I couldn't agree more. So if you're listening to this and you're currently dealing with any mental health, just like we spoke about at the, at the first of this, like the majority of these mental health problems can be fixed or avoided based off things that you can do, that you can have control of. And I, I just think that's so cool. When you were talking just barely, I thought about the book, Man's Search for a Meaning. Yeah. And Victor Frankl, I mean, he had his whole life taken from him, his whole life's work. He was in psychology, and he still was able to find happiness in a concentration camp through the sunset, through finding a pea and the huge thing of soup. Yep. Like, just different things. He could still control his attitude. Yeah. Yeah, and he was kind of forced into a situation where he was left to have a choice. He could either give up and relinquish any kind of feelings of positivity or hope, yeah, or he can find something that gave him hope and gave him motivation. Yeah, it's so cool you say that because he says in the book, the only people that stayed alive were the people that believed that there was hope. Oh, he did. Wow. Yeah. Once they gave up and thought that there's nothing that they could do and they would die within a couple of days, he said. So, I mean, and there's a lot of studies in psychology about that with rats that could see light in the bucket, right? And the rats that couldn't. And so (laughs) I just, I, I love this stuff. So let's, let's move into addictions. Yeah. And I think obviously, I think when, I don't know how you feel, but when I hear the word addiction, the first word I probably think of is pornography, just because most people are going to be exposed to that at some point in their life. Yeah. Out of all the addictions that you treat, is pornography one of the bigger ones? I would say so. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, if you want to classify, you know, cannabis as an addiction, that's, that's up there. Um, 
as far as what I see from people that use it. But as far as like the, the side effects of, or the negative side effects that I see from people, it's usually pornography. Yeah. Okay. I mean, some alcoholism and stuff like that here and there, obviously yeah. some yeah. other, you know, history of major addictions, but pornography definitely is. Yeah, you're right. I think it's, you can't avoid getting exposed to it at one point or another in today's age, you know, back in the fifties or forties, probably pretty easy somewhat to avoid it. To avoid it. Yeah, for but sure. now, yeah. Well, I think even I think even in the '90s, I mean, I think once everybody has a phone in their hand, that's where I think it's oh, like things yeah. changed. It's but, too easy. It's too easy to yeah, get. Super easy. I There's mean, no real negative seconds. consequences legally, right? Yeah. You're not facing charges, yeah, or anything like that. You just end up it's, picking up and the phone. Just accessibility, right? Like two yeah. seconds, I can I can go into anywhere, and so it's just. What tips do you have for anybody that's battling pornography? So I'd say the first tip is to really understand pornography and understand what it does to your brain. Um, but when you start looking at pornography, what ends up happening is over time, your brain starts to kind of carve out a pathway, neural pathways that go directly to the reward center of your brain. Yeah. And so when those pathways are carved out in your brain over time, they are immediately accessed at any time. So anytime you pick up, you know, even if you go clean for a month or two months or a year, as soon as you pick it back up, you have that pathway that's already carved out in your brain. So, so it's immediate. Send you down that same same path, same pathway it already exists, right? Yeah. And it's it, part it's of the visual similar. pathway. Yeah. And if you, if you haven't experienced this, what we're talking about is neuroplasticity, right? Like if I asked you to drive somewhere for the first time to my house and you, you've never been there before, you're going to have a harder time getting there after two or three times it's memorized there you go. and you can drive right there. Probably while you're on the phone doing something else is very easy. Yep. And our brain works the same way with addictions like this. Yeah. Hey, you, you got it down. I mean, it becomes, it becomes such a habit and such a pattern that you almost, well, and not almost, you get triggered subconsciously. So you're not even aware of it a lot of times. Yeah. So emotions are, and boom. Yeah, emotions are subconsciously driven. Yeah. And so when you hear, or when you get that visual trigger, or whether it's any of your five senses, um, all of a sudden, boom, you're just right there with that dopamine rush. And then you're in the hunt for it, and then you get that dopamine rush before you even look at it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, actually. So with that, the other bucket of, like, depression, hopelessness, anxiety, we spoke about, hey, here's some things you can do. Be on a schedule, go outside, avoid junk food, exercise, all these things. What are some things that people can do for pornography? So understand. Or avoid, even. Yeah. Either so, one. Yeah, so understanding it is, like, you know, step one, kind of be educated about it. Okay. You know, the next step would be um, understanding your own triggers. You know, we talk about emotional triggers. So you have to do some introspective work to try to understand, all right, what, you know, where do I get triggered? Where, you know, is it when I've had clients that will be driving home from work and that's a trigger because they know that that's what they would go home and do. And it becomes a pattern. Yeah. So even it's subconsciously. Yeah. They get triggered on the drive home. So, but it takes, it takes introspective work to really understand, hey, 
this is my trigger, you know, so you got to understand all of them too. Some of them are, you know, just feelings of depression. So if you're using it as a coping mechanism and not just to get the rush of dopamine, then you have to understand I use pornography when I feel anxious or when I feel depressed. Yeah. And okay. When are you most likely to feel depressed? Is it at night? Is it in the morning? Is it in the afternoon? Like when are you most vulnerable? So you really have to understand that about yourself so that you can tap into, okay, what do I do? And that's when you implement a distractive mechanism or you implement some sort of coping mechanism. And really most of it comes down to self-awareness, right? Yeah. Most of it comes down to that. Well, and then of course I would throw in the whole idea of mastering your thoughts and be the master of uh, what you envision in your life. Totally. And using that as a motivating factor because you have to have something that motivates you too. What is the thought in in your industry around, because I, I love the book Mindset I, by Carol, I forget her last name, but it talks about fixed and growth mindset. And ever since I read that book, it really impacted me that I don't, me personally, I don't subscribe to a fixed term like he's an alcoholic. I hate that. He's yeah. not stuck there forever. I, I would rather say he's currently dealing with alcohol and has an addiction. But I think the second you slap a label on somebody yeah. and you define their whole identity based off an addiction they're dealing with, I think that's like the dumbest, most hurtful thing we could do in society. You're, you're the only person that I've ever heard say that and that I agree with. Wow, really? You're the only person that's ever said that in my field. Yeah, they would never say that. They would say, hey, once an addict, always an addict. Wow. And it is, is crazy. Yeah, and I, I don't like it. I'll be honest. No. I As a clinician, I don't, I don't feel like that's healthy. But I know from the other standpoint, they would say, hey, look, man, you don't get it. Like, I can't ever drink. If I pick up one drink, like, I'm always an addict. And it's like... Even in the DSM-5, it would say that you're, you have uh, addiction to alcohol, but you would be in remission. So it's like just the same thing as saying, oh, you're not dealing with it anymore. Sure. So you're not, so are you an addict then at that point, or are you done at that point? And so I would say it's one of those things where you have to be aware of, look, you got to be aware of like if you have those, those pathways in your brain that have yeah. been developed, you have to be super aware of it. But yeah. once you're slapped with that label of addiction, yeah, people kind of, it's implied that that's what you are, is that you're an addicted person. And it's so, it's so incredibly unhealthy. I don't I can't, think it's I can't who tell anybody you, is. Like I've learned through having coaches of my own and different things that Nobody wants to be known or remembered or defined by their mistakes. Right. And so the second that you're going to label somebody and like, man, we have it so backwards. Yeah. It's but crazy. all the AA meetings that you'll go to and, you know, I'd probably get a lot of flack if I ever said anything like that, yeah. if I went to an AA meeting, because they want you to make sure that you take accountability, which I agree with. You yeah, want to take totally. accountability. I'm not trying to dodge that at all. Yeah. It's not even in the same world of what I'm talking about. Right. No, I know. Yeah. Me either. But yeah. it's the it's the implied, man, you're stuck with that. And mm. and especially with pornography, 
with that type of addiction, there's so much shame that goes along with it. There's shame with any addiction. Yeah. But with pornography, I'd say it's there's at the top level. Yeah. And embarrassment, you yeah. know, all that kind of thing. But that level of shame is really what keeps people kind of in that downward cycle. Cycle, and then if you th- if they were to think that they're an addict of pornography their whole lives, yeah, it's really hard to just kind of move on. Totally. And why? And I've just learned from other things that the best way to start to overcome things is to talk about it. Yeah. Just realize it and talk about it. You got to be could open. Be anything. Yeah, you got to be open. You got to be. You got to allow yourself to be vulnerable for sure. And I, it's it's so interesting because I look at like some of my closest relationships, and the ones that I just love are the ones that they're vulnerable. Yeah, they're just open. Yeah, I, I they're love honest. That. They're right? so honest. Yeah, about what they're dealing with. And I'd rather take and be really close to somebody that is really struggling and is a mess, whatever you want to say, but they're vulnerable. Versus like the person that's perfect and cause you don't really know and they don't want to talk about anything. Right. Yeah. Well, or they want to come across like I can't be perceived as being somebody who has any issues. Yeah. And that's, that's what breeds. That's, that's what breeds the problem. The problem. Yeah, for sure. And, and you're right. Yeah. I love people who are just they're to the core vulnerable yeah. And when they realize that they can be vulnerable and that nobody's judging them, and that nobody looks down on them and that they understand that that's hurting them, then only a, you know, only a jerk would judge somebody who's in that position. Yeah, totally. I agree. Let's, uh, let's talk about relationships. You, You spoke about, well, actually real quick before we go into that. I'm interested in two things. Yeah. How, because you've seen the effects of pornography, how uh, harmful is, you said cannabis, you said if you would consider that an addiction, are you seeing any hardcore detriment to that? Um, I see people that have legal problems with it. Yeah, um, outside of legal, just I would say. With, with teens, you know, I'll see problems with their parents because their parents don't yeah. like them doing it, which I understand. I'm saying just them as a human and their health or whether it's mental or physical health. I'll be honest, compared to other, other types stuff. of drugs yeah. and okay. other even pharmaceutical stuff, I don't see yeah. That was my side assumption, effects. but I just wanted to know. Yeah. And then one other thing with any of these things that you help people overcome, have you, what's your thoughts on psychedelics? I know that's like a new thing that's emerging. Yeah. So the whole ketamine thing is new. Um, that's, you know, I guess like you could say I'm, I'm been in the field for a long time. So I'm kind of old school and all this new psychedelic stuff coming out. I have had a lot of clients that have just on their own, um, gone and done, done, gone and yeah. done it on their own, that kind of thing. Um, ketamine. What's the other one? Uh, DMT. No, not D. I know DMT oh. too, but uh, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca starts with acid. S. What's mushrooms? Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Yeah. What, so, what's your thoughts on all this stuff overall? You know, I'm still the jury's still out for me on that, okay. um, just because I don't really, I don't think anybody knows in a controlled environment what kind of studies and things like that have, that have been done. Yeah. I would say that it's not. You know, it depends on how responsible people are. Yeah. You know, I've had people that'll drink and take mushrooms and then yeah. it's like, okay, that's no, not I, good. But. I'm asking about somebody that goes with like a shaman or somebody guided, whatever. 
and they have PTSD or trauma or whatever, and they, they approach it like with somebody overseeing that saying, we've got to, we're trying to overcome these things or work through these addictions or solve these. Yeah. Like, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I don't think they're going to get hurt. Okay. And if anything, if they get some, I've had some people that have claimed that they've done that and then they've, it's cured their addiction. They didn't have any desire to do anything addictive after that. And so I've heard actually quite a bit of positive things yeah. about people that have gone That's and done I'm stuff saying. like That's that. That's why I ask is because, but I'm curious and I always want to learn. Right. And so that's, I'm glad we spoke about that, but yeah, moving on to relationships, when you're helping people in relationships, what are the common problems that you're seeing in relationships? Um, are you talking about like with couples or are you talking about with people that Anything. just have relationship problems? Yeah, like so, part of your job, you're treating depression, anxiety, addiction, pornography, when it's anything in relationships, whether whatever, what are the big things that common threads you see? Um, I'd say that what I see is that people struggle to be able to maintain healthy relationships. In what ways? So they would have a tendency to, based on their history, based on whatever emotions that they have, their fears, whatever it is, they could be, okay, I don't want to get too close to this person. I don't want them to get too close to me. If they get too close to me, they're going to see me for who I really am. And so I'm going to put up a wall. Yeah. And then when I put up that wall, that means I keep people at like an arm's length theory or arm's length kind of situation. Like don't go away, but don't come too close because then I'm scared you know, that kind of thing. So it really kind of breeds this unhealthy cycle of like, I'm going to act like a a jerk subconsciously because they're not really aware of it. And then, you know, but don't go away. And so, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and just all these cycles of, you know, poor communication and things like that. But it all comes from and stems from what they believe about relationships in general. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. I'm fascinated by this. So like, if you had a family member that's been divorced three times, yeah. is it, is it probably something like this? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when I get a client that, you know, same kind of situation, more than likely they're going to view relationships as scary. Oh, I don't know if I can get too close. I don't, you know, marriage. No, I don't know about that, man. Like but I saw my parents get divorced. Like that was a nightmare. You know, so all, all relationships are going to probably turn out that way. That's, that's their subconscious or even sometimes conscious thought. It's programming. Yes. Yeah. What about when, is there any correlation between a family line that like the grandparents were divorced, the parents were divorced, they've been divorced. Is there a correlation there? Same type of things, or do you see a different thing? Cause then that's more of like, I don't know if that's in, a mindset or an ideology that's being passed on or a fear that's being passed on. Yeah. I would say it's probably like a, it's more of like a belief. Yeah. That has been passed on. So the belief is that, you know, if I get married more than likely I'm going to get divorced because that's what happened to my parents. That's what happened to my grandparents and things like that. But it has no value or it has no um, reality base to it. It means yeah. It doesn't mean anything other than you believe that it probably won't work out. And that's your mindset. Yeah. And so like my wife, she comes from a divorce home. 
And so, you know, we've been married 20 years and, you know, to me, that's like kind of a, it goes to show that, yeah, you don't have to fall into that cycle if you don't want to. But when you guys got married, did, was there natural programming that was unhealthy maybe in her mind that had passed on or was it? Yeah, I think in her mind, it was more like, I don't, I, I absolutely don't want to be in a relationship where divorce is, you know, part of the the topic of conversation. And I don't want to put my kids through that because for her, it was a really negative experience being, you know, coming from a a divorce home. And so for her, she's like, I do not want to put my kids through something like that. And so it kind of was motivating for her. Yeah. And a positive thing probably. Yeah. How, how often do you think about, I, I find myself thinking about this a lot that oftentimes the really bad, hurtful, harmful, big obstacles in our life ended up helping us for good. For example, what your wife just spoke about, that was probably a hard trial or hard thing to go through. But now she might be a different or better parent in some way because she has more intention to go into it because of that, right? Yeah. I've seen that happen a lot. And so from a psychological perspective, I think about that all the time. Of course, none of us enjoy those moments when they're happening, but I fast forward a lot of people, myself and other people that I know like 20 years. And I'm like, oftentimes that thing ends up helping them so much. Do you think about that? Or is that spoke about a lot in your field? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it really goes about, it goes to show and depends on a person's mindset. So like, or their awareness, their self-awareness. So if they're aware that, Hey, look, I have these, emotional issues that stem from my parents getting divorced or whatever, you know, then they understand what they need to do in order to not let that be a negative factor in their relationships. But the people who don't allow themselves to be aware of it, or they don't do the the mental work to try to figure that out, Mm -hmm. then they typically will just go with the flow and they just kind of go with life. And it's kind of a roll of the dice on whether or not they marry somebody that they stay with and work out issues with. But if they're not aware of it, when they come across problems in marriages, which will happen, um, they'll more than likely throw in the towel because they're like, "Uh, no. But they're not aware that, hey, look, just because you came from a background that that was part of it doesn't mean that that has to be the case for you. you Totally. And I think like why, as you were talking about just a quick example I thought of is there's a highly successful female business leader I know and it's ran companies. She was bullied all growing up, probably a you know, very awful childhood. But because of that, she's very strong now and she's taught so many women how to be strong. And it's it's been such a positive thing for the world, I would say now. And I can't be the one to say for her if that was overall or not, but I just look at all the good that came from that hard obstacle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you hear stories about that all the time, yeah. you know? And, and I think that person, she did a really good job of being able to understand how her history of being bullied is a way for her to grow and yeah. not a way for her to be suppressed. 
hundred percent she didn't take the victim card and exactly. take that route. Oh, right. And so sometimes like another thing that I think a lot about and just psychologically is when bad things happen, we oftentimes ask why. And I don't think we should ask why, because I don't think we'll ever figure out why. I think we should just ask, like, what can we learn from it? And that's the best we can do. And if we can learn from it and use that to make us stronger, I mean, how many stories have I heard about businesses that started because of a, a bad thing? They ran out of money or lost their house or whatever, and they had to create it. Like, so much good can come from bad if you deal with it and choose to deal with it the right way, like you're saying. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, you could almost look at that like there is no failure. Yeah, totally. There's no failure. Yeah. It's all in your mind. It's just an emotion. It's yeah. just, you know, a thought. It doesn't mean that it's real. It doesn't make you who you are. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that failure is even real. It doesn't even really exist. Yeah. You just learn. You learn from it and you grow. That's so cool. And you move on, man. That's yeah. it. Like, that's what it's Michael Jordan said in his Hall of Fame speech. Oh, he did? Yeah. yeah. The only thing we fear is failure. Oh, the man. The fear of failure, right? The fear but of failure. But it's all just, it's all an illusion. And that's what he said, right? It's closing line. It's just an illusion. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my brother's a huge Michael and Jordan he, fan. Yeah. And so, yeah. But it be. just shows you what you're talking about, that if you're intentional with your mind and you can control your mind then look at what you can accomplish because anybody that's done a lot probably had to do a lot of mind work because the natural programming isn't that stuff. Yeah, that's not, that's right. That's not that stuff. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head with the whole word of victim, because if you want to be a victim, it's easy. Super easy. I mean, that's, that's a just wake road. up and turn on the TV. Yeah. You'll I be a victim. I can't do this because the president's Biden and this and this. And oh, this. Like, yeah. There's a million reasons. A million. Oh, and then you can always go look. My parents, my mom was like this. My dad was like that. Yeah. My brother was, you know, this, you know, but that's just the victim card and that will keep you stagnant more than anything. That's why it goes back to those people that you really attach yourself to, which are the people that are really vulnerable Yeah. because they're not, that's the opposite of being a victim. Yeah. They're being raw. If I had a microphone that could reach the whole world. And I'm like, Devin, here it is. <laughs> you know, based off what you've learned the last 15 years. Nib high football rules. No, <laughs> Billy Madison, right? Um, what would you sorry. say? Yeah, yeah that's, I, I that. ruined I totally, the mood there. Totally, My bad. I totally ruined uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that it's so... Yeah, it's so important for people to understand the power of their mind and the ability to master their thoughts and where that can take them. And that that doesn't have to, they don't have to be a victim of their past, but also just understanding by doing mental visualization work and by being able to just understand their own power when it comes to controlling their thoughts that that can help them really accomplish anything that they need to in this life. Sure. What's one of the more influential books that you've read that you'd recommend? Um, one of the books that I like the most is it's a book that's called healing the child within. Yeah. 
And, you know, it talks about addiction work, but it also talks about just a lot of different aspects of, hey, look, this is how I was raised. And this is what some of the issues that could come up with based on your, you know, he talks about how your child within like you have this creative child, right? When you're born, you're this creative person. You don't have a care in the world. You know, it's this blank slate, but through different parenting or through the world, the environment, things like that, you know, your child can be, the child within can be stifled Mm -hmm. and it can really keep you from being able to become the person that you can become. Um, And so it's really more about just like understanding yourself better when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that's basically like learned helplessness in a way, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how there's been multiple times where I'm reading in psychology and they'll oftentimes point to a child and how a child that has a better mindset, naturally, they're more willing to love openly. Yep. There's no expectations usually. Uh, they don't know what they can and can't do yet as far as their potential. They're just free. And then as life goes on, they we get, get, they get worse jaded. and worse yeah. mindset. <laughs> yeah. Our mental and emotional health is just, it seems like it declines unless you're extremely intentional with it. Yeah, it can get negative easy. Um, this world can bring a lot of negativity, a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, you know, and that's one of the main reasons why kids will lie is to avoid shame. But think about that, you know, you start with a blank slate. They don't want to feel shame yeah. because they don't, They don't know what it is or whatever, but they just know what it feels like. They couldn't explain it to you, but they want to avoid it. So they'll lie to avoid it. And so that's the beginning, right? That's the beginning of the process. And then pretty soon you're an adult and you're lying to your wife because you went and got drunk and she caught you or whatever. And you're just, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just lying through your teeth just to get out of, you know, being in trouble. It just becomes a pattern. Yeah. But yeah, it's really... It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I mean, just recognize how you were raised, understand how it's affected you, and then understand how your mind and controlling your thoughts really is the key to being able to overcome any of the past. And there's so many just, I don't know if you want to call them life hacks. I'm sure you have a name for them. But there's real psychological barriers or issues or obstacles that just through learning some things with you or a professional can quickly help you get around those. And so if, if you're listening to this and you're dealing with anything and they wanted to reach out to you, Devin, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, I have a website. It's www.devindutson.c compass, sorry, compass mental health service, cmhs.com. So Devin Dutson, cmhs.com. Or you just Google, Google Google that compass mental health services. There you go. Okay. Yeah. That's my business name. Based out of Utah. Where's your office? What city? Uh, Pleasant Grove. Pleasant Grove. Cool. And then is there like a typical framework structure that somebody gets on a call with you once a month or once a week or, or is it just so different for everybody? Yeah. So they just, you know, they go on my website. My website has uh, like a contact me page. And so they just go on there and just fill it out. And then once that happens, then I get a notification 
And then we just kind of message back and forth to just kind of set up like the whole um, logistics, you know, and get the insurance and all that kind of stuff out of cool. the way. And then, yeah, and Actually, it's just let, more let, about having openings. That's the hard openings. Part. Okay. Being vulnerable and just going. Oh, no, I mean like openings, oh, openings and schedule. And schedule yeah. You're out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have like a list of people that I contact when I get late minute cancellations okay. and stuff. But yeah, I mean, most of the time my schedule's pretty, pretty full, pretty full, but you brought up insurance. Does insurance cover this? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of insurance covers mental health wow. services. Yeah. Okay. Um, of course for the insurance to accept it, you know, they want things to be in their view medically necessary, but that's sure. kind of up to me yeah. to determine what's medically necessary. I mean, they, they'll say they, yeah, they control that, but yeah. I'm the one that does the diagnosing and all that kind of stuff. So cool. When yeah, I was, I, I'm companies. smiling right yeah. now because when I was, we bought a hot tub like six months or a year ago and I was reading online, like go meet with a professional cause they can deem it like necessary for your mental health or whatever. And I was oh, like, yeah. man, <laughs> would a hot and cold spa be deemed necessary for my mental health? You know, you know I, I say that sounds pretty good. If you can make it happen, man. Like ha I, if that's true, if that's real, yeah. I I think I could use some <laughs> mental health work. You know what I mean? Cool. Well, yeah. guys, reach out to to Devin. It's been so awesome having you on. So thanks for driving down here and making it happen. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to me ramble. 